football at four here on The Drive with Tim Donnelly on 99.9 The Fan. Before we jump into what the Panthers should have done with 2020 hindsight, right? Straight Monday morning quarterbacking for the Panthers. Uh, I'll update you on the Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley situations, and I'll take a, a page out of Adam Schefter's playbook here. He put out identical tweets, just changed the names and the teams that basically say uh, Saquon's not expected, so Josh Jacobs not expected to report anytime this summer, and the team's not expecting to see him anytime this summer, and they both have decisions to make on if and when they will appear at their team's training camps or I guess regular season camps. Work smarter, not harder. Just don't show up. Don't sign that tender. Don't show up. No fines. And you can really – here's the hard part, though. The negotiation's over. Mm-hmm. The teams can't offer a long-term contract. It's it's past that time. They play on the tender. They play on the franchise tag, or they don't. Saquon Barkley, if they get close to week one, that Giants offense doesn't have Saquon Barkley, They're in a, the offense is in big trouble. Mm-hmm. He's very important. And there's just nothing the team could then cave to do. It's very set up in the team's favor, right? It's very set up in the team's favor because it's easy to say July 17th, oh, we'll be good without him. It's much more difficult like the week of game one to say, oh, we'll be fine without him, which is when his leverage would be the highest. So we'll see how it plays out. We'll see when those those running backs get there, and we'll see what it does to those teams, which both have a little bit of pressure when it comes to the Giants living up to what they did last year, and Daniel Jones, obviously a Duke guy, uh, wanting to justify the huge amounts of money he was paid. And then Josh McDaniels and a few others over there with the Raiders, uh, probably a little bit of warm seats. So a lot of pressure there. Now let's jump into DeAndre Hopkins and what the Panthers should have done. The DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes ended over the weekend. Felt like there was a lot of moving parts for not actually that many characters. Yeah. It's like he visited the Patriots and the Titans. It came down to the Patriots and, and the Titans. The Bills were talked about. The Chiefs were talked about. All these other teams were talked about. The two teams that he visited is, is who it came down to. So maybe it wasn't as a robust a market as we were we were made to believe. Uh, but regardless, he signed a, a or agreed to a two-year, $26 million deal worth up to $32 million with incentives. This has to be a moment when the Panthers look around and say, Oh, why didn't you tell us that was going to be the price? We could have beat that. Yeah. Right? We gave Adam Thielen three years, $25 million. Why didn't you tell us, DeAndre, that we could have got you for that over two years, granted, but the same dollar amount back then? We would have held off on some of these offseason moves if we could have got DeAndre Hopkins. $14 million guaranteed for Adam Thielen. That's an aging wide receiver that does – a lot of the same things as DeAndre Hopkins, just not as good. Mm-hmm. And here's here's the point. Here's why I think it's a regret. Every decision, each and every decision, once you draft a quarterback in the top, I'd say, five picks of a, of a NFL draft, each and every decision comes down to, like, I could, I could answer your question with a question of my own, right? Uh, you draft Bryce Young, number one. Then you're going, oh, who should be our – uh, wide receivers coach. I don't know what's best for the development of Bryce Young. What should we do this free agency period? I don't know. You tell me. What's the best for the development of Bryce Young? Like for two or three years, every decision has to be made with that in mind. What is the best for the development of Bryce Young? And you can't tell me that the Panthers did everything they could do to help their young quarterback by bringing in Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, Jonathan Mingo in the second round, Miles Sanders, Hayden Hurst. Like they, they 
brought in a lot of offensive players, but you could have had DeAndre Hopkins. You could have. And and that's a player who's like the ultimate safety blanket. Yeah. Right? You talk about uh, contested catches. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there's anyone better in the league at contested catches. If I'm a, a rookie quarterback, as advanced as everybody likes to say, and I believe Bryce Young is mentally when it comes to processing the game, I still kind of want to look at this whole situation and say, it's nice to know occasionally that if a guy is covered, you can still throw it there. Like, it's that simple, right? With 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 DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, if it's one-on-one, if the guy's in good coverage, if he's stuck on his hip, give him a chance. There's a good chance he's still going to come down with it. And that means you can make a bad read, and he still might come down with it. That's a safety blanket that every young quarterback wants because I don't care if you are a savant like everybody says Bryce Young is, and mm-hmm. and I believe he might be. There's As a rookie, there's still going to be a handful of plays a game where you drop back and go, whoop, don't know what I'm looking at. If you're Anthony Richardson, guess what you're going to do? Tuck it and run. If you're Bryce Young, what could you do? Look at DeAndre Hopkins and say, here you go. Jump ball, 50-50 ball, because with him it's not a 50-50 ball, right? It's a it's a 70-30 ball or whoever, you know, depending on how in the groove he is, it might be an 80-20 ball. Especially because you had to trade away DJ Moore, right, to get Bryce Young. So you had $20 million to go spend on a number one wide receiver. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have even had to spend that. Right? You had that $20 million or nineteen five, whatever it was, earmarked for DJ Moore. Could have still picked up Miles Sanders in addition too with that same money. And as we mentioned, the franchise tag deadline, bluffs were called. Right, The, 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 the Panthers, they didn't have a franchise tag to sweat, which is kind of nice. They need to get a deal with with Burns done soon, or else they'll be in that dosy dough very soon. Which, like do- yesterday, <laughs> that that dosy dough is not fun. By the way, when you have a guy who is super important to your franchise, who you might have to tag, you might not tag, you tag them, and then you do have that deadline. It's not fun as a franchise. And Brian Burns is that important. You turn down reportedly two plus first round picks, meaning two picks and then like a third or whatever it was from the Rams to keep him. So you can't let him leave, and he probably knows that. So get the deal done, or you're going to be playing the franchise tag do do and then this day next year will not be as fun for the Panthers. Instead, they just get to watch other teams deal with that little two-step, and two teams are still in limbo. That would be the Giants and the Raiders. Tony Pollard also didn't get a long-term deal, but he had already signed the tag, so he's playing. Yeah. I love the idea of bluffs being called in, in the NFL. Because the kind of the the kind of nuclear option for a running back is to say I will sit out games. Le'Veon Bell did it, and he sat out the games, and his career was never really the same. Mm-hmm. It's it's the point of no return, the biggest metaphorical weapon you have in your negotiation bag. But I kind of believe the biggest weapon you have is threatening to sit out, because actually sitting out probably does more harm to you than anybody else, because it still tolls over, right? It's not you have to play what is it, uh, six games or, or, or whatever it is to get a, a told year. I think if Saquon wanted to burn bridges, if Josh Jacobs wanted to burn bridges, you sit out like the first three games, mm-hmm. then show up and sign your tag. But I don't see if that, I don't see that endearing you to any future potential employers. No. I, I don't know if I want that guy in my, my locker room. You can always go the route that Le'Veon Bell, the first year he got franchise tagged was – Sat out all during training mm-hmm. camp. Didn't sign the tender until the last pre- after the last preseason game, and then he was there week one. 
still got paid his full season amount, didn't have to go through training camp or any of that kind of stuff, that might be the route they take. And and we've seen enough social media videos to know these guys are in shape. Uh, yeah. They, they like to squat. Uh, say Quad Barkley and Josh Jacobs was whatever six fifteen or whatever it was the other day on on social media. It's a lot. It's a ton. Uh, if I if I were their advisor, if they hit me up as a friend and said, "What should I do?" I would say, "You're not you're not showing up till the practice week of week one." Yeah, you're good enough. You know the offense. Practice week of week one. Avoid all potential possible injuries early or in the preseason at all. Hopefully, you have another Pro Bowl year. You know, lead the league in rushing type year, and then you go cash in. Or you get tagged again, and we do this all again next year. Well, with running backs, you, you don't want to get older without that deal. So I would say go ahead and, and get your money, get that deal. Uh, <laughs> earlier today, we talked about Drake May. He's one of the, the people I'm very excited to cover in this part of the, uh, the country. Another person I'm very excited to cover is the person responsible for getting Drake May all of the, the opportunities he needs to be successful, and that would be their head football coach, Mac Brown. first edition of the show we're about to welcome on our first guest it's our first time using the heaster automotive group hotline uh, and that first guest is mac brown the head coach north carolina football as i said going into the break quite a few big uh, recruiting wins being reported uh which means there's there's momentum rolling so we're very very pleased and very thankful that coach has taken the time to chat with us coach uh thank you for taking the time we'll, we'll start with the player that everybody's familiar with rather than those guys that that we hope to get to know one day uh, what parts of, of Drake May's game are you using this offseason to improve and build the most off of in his, his impressive debut season? Well, Tim, first, welcome. Thank w- you. Welcome to the Triangle and uh, welcome to the state of North Carolina. It's a wonderful place and really friendly people and a lot of great football. The Wake Forest and Duke, NC State and us are all playing really well at, at the highest level for all four at one time. So it, it uh it, it should be a fun time for you to be coming in. Uh, Drake is uh, a great person. He's really, really hard on himself. He's the younger of four brothers, and uh, two of them have won national championships, one in basketball here and, and one in Florida with baseball. And he's got a, another brother that's on our current basketball team. Um, so he's been the little brother that's been beaten up his whole life, and he he just competes at everything. So he's really hard on himself, Tim. And after the season, he, he um, felt like that he, he wanted help with his throwing motion. He wanted help with his feet. Mm. He wanted help with his presence in the pocket. So we were so fortunate to hire Chip Lindsey, who has uh, two current NFL quarterbacks that, that he coached. And Clyde Christensen came back to help us, who coached Peyton Manning and Jameis Winston and um, – Andrew Luck and, and Tom Brady. So he's got some really good teachers around him right now. So uh, we, we feel like that we're even as good as he played last year, we're going to see even a better version of Drake this fall. Coach, you bring up Chip Lindsey coming in, the, the new offensive coordinator, obviously replacing Phil Longo. Uh, how, how different will the offense be, and, and how do you toe that line between – you know, not moving on from the things that your offense did so well last year while bringing in the things that, that Chip and, 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 you know, that he's done in his career. Tim, it's a great point. When uh, Drake and I sat down and, and talked about it, Sam Howell and I were involved in conversations with Drake about it. We love our passing game, and we wanted to keep it. So mm-hmm. I needed to find a guy who had an air raid background but liked to run the ball 
because we ran the ball so well for our first two years here, and, and we haven't run it as near as well. We've been middle of the league for the last two years, and you, you were a quarterback. You, you've got to be a uh, um, – I'm in the running games, quarterback's best friend. We've had too many sacks. Uh, so we've got to be physical and run the ball better. And Gus Malzahn has always had a great running offense. So I, I took the, the air raid offense that uh, Chip had in high school. He, he's had at Arizona State. He had at Auburn. He, he had when he was down at uh, Southern Miss as the offensive coordinators at those places. But we're bringing in the running game that he had and enjoyed so much with Gus and Larry Porter, our offensive line coach, was with them at Auburn when they were running the ball like this. So he, he loves that type running game. Uh, and uh, Randy Clements, our new offensive line coach, and Chip are best friends. So we feel like that, that we're going to have a, a similar to offense that we had, but more like the first two years when we were running the ball better. Mac Brown, head coach, North Carolina football, connecting with us on the Heaster Automa- Automotive Group hotline here on The Drive. Uh Coach, I, I want to talk to you. You bring up that uh, that that Drake is kind of the the younger brother, and he's got a bunch of brothers. He's also, you know, you look at maybe Trubisky, Howell, and and he he he's kind of the younger brother in this this hot streak of of UNC quarterbacks, and he can obviously look to them and, and learn. Right, Sam Howell had a lot of the same hype Drake May had, top pick hype. Uh, all the the analysts loved him. Then prior to his final year on campus. Dami Brown, Daz Newsome, a couple of running backs drafted in the NFL. He ends up going in the fifth round. Is there, is there anything Drake can learn from that situation to, uh, you know, survive and thrive with guys like Josh Downs, who was a, a top pick, and, and Antoine Green, another wide receiver being drafted this this past draft? Tim, it's a, it's a good point. And uh, Sam has been so gracious with Drake to be like an older brother. Mm-hmm. He helped him when he was here, but he's been down here a lot this spring. They've spent a lot of time together. They work out together, and we're so proud of Sam that, that he's going to start for Washington, it looks like, as of right now, and, and, and good for him to, to have had the struggle his senior year, not be drafted where he wanted to, and take it all as a positive and, and take that negative and turn it into a positive. Uh, I thought the biggest thing is that we didn't run the ball well that year, and Sam had to run too much, and, and we don't want Drake being a runner. He's going to run enough off of his scrambles. But uh, there was so much hype before the season. Um, that we had just come off of an Orange Bowl uh, year. Uh, we, we had a lot of guys returning, uh, and the, we just didn't play well. We were very, very inconsistent. It's my job. I didn't do a good job coaching them, obviously, because we, we spent too much time talking about and listening to our hype and, instead of preparing. Um, this team losing the last four games and two of them were really the better teams than us we lose to Oregon with 19 seconds left and and we uh we lose to Clemson because we turned the ball over three times and Clemson's a really good team in the in the conference championship game uh but then we we come down and miss a field goal against state in overtime we we didn't play well the second half against Georgia Tech so there's there's a, a natural uh edge uh, chip on the shoulder with this bunch, Tim, that we didn't have with that group that was eighth in the country in preseason and tenth in the country. And uh, this team knows they've got a lot to prove. So they're an older team. Uh, we have a tougher schedule than we've had and, and just about anybody's got right now in the country to start and to finish. Uh, but I don't think we're going to have any trouble getting this bunch focused and ready to play. And along those same lines, right, right a year ago, uh, your defense finished near the bottom of, of some rankings when it comes to stats in the ACC. 
Uh, but there's been rumblings around your program that the the blitzes are coming. The aggressive play calls are, are going to be more dominant to, in, in the game plan. Uh, do you have do you have you know to use a, a very modern term the dogs up front to to get after the quarterback and and take that style of of, of attitude into each game this season? Tim, we do. We we gave up a thousand yards against Appalachian State and sixty one points in the second game of the season. So everybody turned on our defense and said they were awful after that. They actually played pretty good down the stretch, and only gave up like twenty four points in the ACC contest. So. Uh, and, and we blitzed a lot more than we thought, but when you, you give up that many points, everybody says, well, they don't blitz any, and they don't tackle any, and they don't hit the quarterback, and they don't cover, and all those things were true in that fourth quarter at Appalachian State. That, so, is, a, that is an unbelievable uh, impression, by the way. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but but it, I was in the media. Sometimes we, we get on these tangents, and we can't get off. We, when, when the narrative is made, it doesn't matter what happens. It's not changing. Uh, but, yes, I think because the defense has heard how bad they are and how bad they were, uh, that they are going to improve. We blitzed a lot more last year than some people thought, but when you're not stopping people consistently, they think you're passive. Um, but but I, I do feel like we were very much improved up front. Uh, we didn't play well in the secondary last year. We haven't played the ball well at corner. We haven't tackled well at safety. There's so many things that we need to improve but I, I thought we saw a lot of progress in those areas this spring. Head coach, UNC football, Mac Brown, connecting with us on the Heaster Automotive Group hotline. Uh, coach, last one before we let you go, and, and thank you again for, for taking the time. Uh, that, that, that first game's a doozy, right? 7.30 p.m. Saturday, September 2nd. It's in Charlotte, neutral field, night game, South Carolina. Do, do you – do you like opening the season with a splash game like that? Or, or you know, if you had your druthers, are you easing into it a bit more rather than hitting the treadmill when it's already set on, you know, 30 miles an hour or whatever it is? Tim, I, I do like this. I think I, I would rather have a game that's an easy one to open with and have this one second. So you can kind of, we, we don't have preseason games in college football. So we're going to have to scrimmage more. We're going to have to be more physical in preseason because uh, we don't have any time to learn how to play. We've got we've got to have the foot on the gas and ready to go in that opener. Uh, Shane Beamer's done a tremendous job. South Carolina's hot. They they ended up beating Tennessee and Clemson at the end of the year. Uh, they've got a lot of momentum. So as we tailed off at the end of the year, they they just kept gaining momentum. So be two of the best quarterbacks in the country. It'll be a prime time game. I'm really excited about it, uh, and and our players are. So when they're out there in this 98-degree uh, heat and they're running, I can just simply say South Carolina's running too, guys. So you, that, that, that says it all. You've got to be ready to play. It's going to be hot in Charlotte on that Saturday night. It's, it's going to be a great crowd. Uh, so it's going to be a fun game. And uh, we, we'll have an idea and know who we are really quickly. Coach, we appreciate you for taking the time. Hopefully we're able to, to do this again. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll see you at uh, ACC Media Days next week. Thank you, Tim. See you next week. And again, welcome to the Triangle. Thank you very much. That's Mac Brown, head coach, UNC football, and the the first guest in the drive history here on 99.9 The Fan. Uh, and he was joining us on the Heaster Automotive Group hotline. Uh, I will say this. He might want a little ramp-up game. Mm-hmm. From a fan's perspective, it's pre- pretty sweet for a first Oh, it's game. awesome. Uh, getting, getting those two quarterbacks to duel, like – no coach will ever say this because they, they, they coach the defense also, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't hate a shootout. 
Oh, no. I wouldn't hate a shootout oh, at all. If we had the game we had between UNC and App State to open the week, yeah. Open the season like we had last year. I'll take that. That that'll get us uh, as fans right in the groove. Then we're then we're ready for the yeah. rest of the season. Just get us get us like half a season of scoring in game one, and then then we'll be ready to rock. Um, I also think it's 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 interesting how much Sam Howell is in the mix for mm-hmm. for Drake May because like the I don't even want to call it a pitfall because let's not act like being a, a fifth round pick is some kind of horrendous outcome when just about every quarterback in college football would do heinous things to be drafted in the fifth round. But going from, you know, there's not many quarterbacks that have been mocked, meaning mock drafted, into the top three of an NFL draft. Sam Howell and Drake May are two of them. And and they were also, even more rare, kind of mocked years ahead, mm-hmm. where after their first year as a starter, everybody's putting them into some future draft as a top three pick. And, uh, and w- whatever Sam Howell's, you know, both situationally, he contributed – things outside his fa- uh, outside his control led to him being a, a fifth rounder you know he can turn around and tell drake hey this that not this not that very very simple advice also someone like mitch trubisky also a, a north carolina guy he only had to start one year and then he went straight to being the number two overall pick so he didn't uh he didn't need to to kind of navigate those those murky ish waters right he, just, he was able to just splash onto our scene make everybody's eyes open and then immediately go into the NFL because of the way that that the the depth chart worked out during his time in Chapel Hill. Uh but still, you, you heard me reference the game. 7:30 p.m. Saturday, September 2nd in Charlotte, North Carolina against South Carolina. That's that's a doozy to open your season. Northwestern, we just discussed part of the the allegations and the the legal situation they're dealing with. They they moved on from Pat Fitzgerald. They have an interim. The whole situation is surprising, right? I mean, if you would ask me like three weeks ago, who's the the safest job in college football, uh, you know, for the next 10, 20 years, Pat Fitzgerald would have been near the top of my list. So, so that in itself is surprising. But one of the more surprising elements of the story is still ongoing. Is Northwestern, and no, I mean, I didn't mean to say it with so much stank on it. Northwestern. It's okay if you did. It's fine. I mean, it, some things just happen, right? If, 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 if the shoe fits, wear it. Is Northwestern such an attractive coaching job that Mike Elko and Dave Clawson would leave Duke or Wake Forest to take that job? And 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 perhaps, as we've seen in recent years, uh, when a coach takes a new job, there's a good chance they're going to turn around and say, hey, hey, good players from my current job portal with me follow me right the lincoln riley from oklahoma to usc and caleb williams comes with them like could riley leonard and, and mike elko make that kind of move is it really to that point really i never thought we'd even have to judge the the attractiveness of of northwestern because i assumed Pat Fitzgerald would be coaching there for another 30 years. But now that we're here, and and obviously they're going to run with the the kind of interim coaching staff this year, but next offseason, which means we have a year of them evaluating and, and rumors and back-to-channel negotiations and wink-wink, nod-nod, this guy, that guy, the other guy. Now that the job is open, I am surprised I am I am flabbergasted. I am other words that mean surprised. I am jaw on the floor with some of the coaches that are being brought up for, for Northwestern's opening. 
Mike Elko and Dave Clawson amongst them. They keep being mentioned by every insider's list of potential Northwestern coaches, and I'm going, why? ESPN listed Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, Dave Clawson, Tulane's Willie Fritz, Mike Elko, and Iowa State's Matt Campbell as the first five names on their list. First of all, if the Giants have a season anything like the season they had last year, Mike Kafka might be a head coaching in the NFL candidate. Dave Clawson has turned down, I believe, a ton of very impressive college football jobs to stay at Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. Tulane's Willie Fritz is coming off an unbelievable season for Tulane. Mike Elko, again, comes with a, a strong pedigree from his career. And, I mean, after the first season at Duke, there's a lot of people interested in what he has going on there. And Iowa State's Matt Campbell, he's mentioned in every single big-time big, big time vacancy coaching opening discussion out there. Why would, would there be this assumption that any of them would be interested in Northwestern and the situation Northwestern is in right now? Right, It used to be if, if, a, if a coach left a job, if they had a good roster, at least you'd have their roster. Right, If there was a, a, a scandal or a reason why the coach had to leave, it'd be like, well, at least they got a pretty good roster. You can go coach. Right, The, the guys are still there. Now, the transfer portal doesn't guarantee any of them will be there. You could go into a program that is a dumpster fire of sorts, mm-hmm. and then that dumpster fire will have everyone running away from the dumpster fire while you are running in like a brave fireman. Right, Everybody else runs out. We run in. Only it's metaphorical and not nearly as heroic. And you'd be running out of a program or running out of a situation that made you the attractive college coaching candidate that you are. Now I can hear you. And and yes, you can you can throw this at me on Twitter at Donnelly Sports or at ninety nine the fan. Ninety nine nine the fan. The obvious answer is money. Right? Money rule, rules the world, cash rules everything around me. Shout out to the woo. Uh dollar dollar bills, y'all. Yeah, exactly. Cream, get the money. The obvious answer is money. The Big Ten has a lot of money. They pass out more per school. Their media rights deal, their USC, UCLA, all the they have money. So, yes, my assumption is Northwestern would be offering more money than most ACC schools. However, you have to be smart enough to look at it as a business decision more than the, the bottom line, and both of these guys seem like they would, meaning you go to Northwestern and you fail spectacularly, You'll have made more money until you failed spectacularly. If you stay at programs that are more stable, that are more committed to you, that that you have more goodwill built up, that might be a much longer-term situation and the money that you would make in addition to, right, by contract extensions and longevity would be where you make up those dollars and cents. If you get paid a bunch, you have higher expectations. That I mean, that's life, right? You have higher expectations but you have a complete mess that you're taking over. That doesn't sound attractive to me. The transfer portal will crush you. Now I can see this. I can see why Northwestern would want these coaches, right? And especially when you consider what I told you, that a lot of times when a coach leaves, some of their better players follow them. And these two programs have had success. So you know they have good players with eligibility left. So if you could get one of these coaches and a few select players from the teams they're on, then, yes, Northwestern would be dumb not to call. But, right, the big but is a call doesn't necessarily guarantee an answer. 
And even an answer doesn't guarantee anything other than like a like a cordial goodbye. Hey, thank you for thinking of me. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. I'm very happy where I am. Yeah. Which, by the way, I believe definitely Clawson. Elko is still fairly new to Duke. But I believe Clawson's had that conversation with equally as prestigious programs and not ones that were such embroiled in complete and total chaos and uncertainty. So, so like all of these, it's like, by the way, I said earlier today, I'm, I'm big on motivations, right? Every list that's put out, every leak that is revealed, you have to think, where's this leak coming from? Who's this insider talking to? And who does it benefit? It would tremendously benefit Northwestern if all of these coaches were seen as viable candidates because then whoever they do approach will will feel like they're being included in this group. Yeah. Right. If I tell you I'm I'm hiring a new college football coach and my options are Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and and Jim Harbaugh, then when I approach Dave Clawson, it's gonna be like, Whoa, all right, look at that. I'm in that mix. Right. Or or I don't know why I picked Dave Clawson. There could have been any other college football coach. Right, they're going to be very like okay. That's a big time. That's a big time deal. That's a big time position. Do you see the other guys they're looking at? They mm-hmm. they've thought highly of me. So maybe that's what they're doing, right? So when they eventually turn to a coordinator from Michigan or something, when they eventually turn towards uh, some Conference USA coach, mm-hmm. Sun Belt coach, that they'll be like, oh, see that they were looking at Elko, Clawson, and me. I'm definitely taking this job, and I was the guy, and I, and they wanted me. Right, maybe that's their move, and all of these lists are put together by people that have talked to Northwestern, and that's their their game. But if I'm if I'm being completely honest, I don't think Northwestern has their ducks in a row like that yet. No, <laughs> I don't oh, think gosh, anyone. No. I don't think anyone. I think that they are very much like who's going to be our next coach. That's a problem for future us. Let's take care of what the heck is on you know the front burner before we get to the back burner. We've got we've got a year to figure out who's going to be coaching us the following year. I think that's why they were so aggressive in getting to the uh, the the interim, right? And announce what's going on, and then they'll they'll move on to the next. But I'll just go on the record here. First show, first the drive. If I'm the coach at Wake Forest or Duke, especially right now, I'm not interested in anything other than answering the phone and politely saying no to Northwestern, and and I believe that's how it will end up. I believe that's how it will end up fairly quickly. <laughs> 